In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to the first of our end-of-year podcasts. We're breaking format from what it's been for most of this year. Uh, we've got two big segments up today, and I do say big because we've got an hour-long reporter's roundtable that features Scott Stein of CNET and Todd Martins of the Los Angeles Times. Just a few Gen X reporters who cover this stuff uh, talking with each other uh, for an hour as we, we kind of look at the year. And it ranges ranges all over the place. Uh, we also have a conversation with the very first interviewee we ever had on No Persinium. That would be artist Annie Saunders. Uh, Annie, who long ago here in L.A. Long ago? Was it that long ago? No. I mean, everything feels so long ago now uh made the piece the day shall declare it uh her most recent piece uh is a walking tour uh based piece in new york city we get into that annie and i talk for about a half an hour so this is an extra long episode as we move into uh the holiday break and of course we're going to have a touch of your immersive headlines in just a few moments um, I'm not going to do too much right now or indeed too much on the back end, but I did want to make a couple of quick notes. Uh, yes, the next stage immersive summit and mini festival is coming up January 7th, 8th, 9th in Pasadena. Yes, we are continuing on with it. Uh, we know there is the Omicron surge happening right now. Yes, we've been here before, and it's all very scary, and we're updating our COVID policies. Uh, those who have badges uh, or those who are thinking about getting badges should take a look. Uh, we're going to have that going out in the uh, attendee packet, which is dropping this weekend, hopefully dropping tonight, uh, December 17th. I took a pause from working on it to wrap up the podcast. Um and uh, we dropped the schedule. So if you go uh, to experiencethenextstage.com right now uh, or immersiveexperience.org and uh, click on the menus, you will find the schedule for the summit. That's going out in the packet. Uh, the updated COVID policy will be on the site uh, not too long after uh, this episode drops. There are two more episodes coming up. On the podcast, we have our uh, Critics Picks show, which will drop next week. That one's going to be uh, a little over an hour long. And then we're also next week recording and dropping at the end of the year. We've got a kind of a retrospective. Uh, I don't I don't know how that conversation is going to go yet. So <laughs> we're, we're having that talk next week. Uh, and then we will be taking a bye week. We'll be a dark on the 7th because we will be producing the summit and mini festival. Um, 
there are a couple of programming notes about the Summit of Mini Festival. Uh, we have unfortunately lost Sarah Ellis of the Royal Shakespeare Company and uh, Hamish Jenkinson of uh, the department uh, there in the UK. They're not, uh, Sarah won't be able to make it out of the UK. Uh, Hamish has been uh, called away on, uh, on a bit of business and can no longer attend. Uh, for those who are saying, well, does that mean we're not getting the Arkham Asylum bit? No, no. Johnny Grant, uh, who's also of the department of the department studios, uh, which is the creative side of that company. Uh, not that the department isn't creative, just, you know, phrasing uh, that uh, Johnny's still coming through. So we're still uh, we're still doing the bit about Arkham, but we are losing Hamish talking about experiential marketing uh, and, and the work they've been doing on that side of things. Um we have, though, a couple of, uh, well, at least one and most likely uh, two more special guests, maybe even three more special guests that are in our back pocket, uh, one of which we have confirmed and just can't announce and uh, kind of helps put everything back into balance uh, from my point of view. So I don't know if you know, if you know me, you might, you might look to the past and see what I'm talking about. Uh, and then uh, two more, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll try and get confirmation on uh, before Christmas break. So there'll be a little Christmas presents for you. Very exciting uh, what is in the offings for each one of those. And combined, oh my goodness, it'd be a lot. Uh, all right, so there you go. That's the news on that front. Wanted to keep everybody informed. So uh, you'll hear a little bit from me at the end of the show. Uh, and other than that, it's going to be, uh, jumping over to Catherine in the headlines, and then we're just going to do some transitions in between these big, big sections. And, uh, I hope that, uh, I hope that you have a good weekend and a nice holiday break and, uh, stay safe out there. Okay. Hello, this is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium, and here's what's in your immersive headlines for December 17th. The Atlantic. Artist Glenn Kano and Superblue have announced a brand new nature-themed immersive art experience. The first exhibition, sponsored by MasterCard, is set to open spring 2022 in Los Angeles. The art will be inspired by the Atlantic's series Who Owns America's Wilderness and the Atlantic's many years of archives including writings from folks like John Muir, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Henry David Thoreau. The goal of the project is to inspire millions of people to rethink their relationship to the natural. And here's a fun immersive fact, Glenn Kano also produced both the off-Broadway and film versions of In and of Itself. You can also flip back to our August 27th episode to learn even more about Superblue. The 2022 Sundance Film Festival has announced its new Frontier programming available both online and in Utah. Projects will be shown in New Frontier's bespoke WebXR spatialized virtual venue, The Spaceship, which has touchpoints in a new free-to-access venue in Park City called The Craft. Ticketed New Frontier performances will also be presented in Park City's Egyptian Theater with simultaneous presentations on The Spaceship as well. Sundance hopes to connect festival-goers in Park City to those attending online from anywhere in the world and vice versa. The 2022 New Frontier program includes 15 premieres from creators all around the world. John Henke, CEO of Niantic, spoke to The Verge recently about all things, you guessed it, metaversal. Henke notes he is a big fan of writers like Neil Stevenson and William Gibson, and points out that folks who've read their books, quote, know how they end, end quote. He says, quote, that's a horrible vision for the future. 
the world has just completely gone the wrong way and people have to escape to these virtual realities. I don't think it's how things are going to play out. I don't want it to be how things will play out, end quote. Hanke also lays out a more expansive vision for AR beyond just holograms which are accessible through a smartphone, telling The Verge, quote, you can hear about the AR world through your earphones or get information about it on your watch. Ultimately, AR is about the place that you are, the object that you're looking at, the thing that you want to interact with, end quote. And what exactly does Neil Stephenson think of all of this metaverse brouhaha? Well, in a recent interview with Kara Squisher for the New York Times, he discussed the giant corporations who run the internet and how that all intersects with his vision of the metaverse in Snow Crash. Quote, what they did was they came up with a business model that's not really anticipated in Snow Crash, which is this idea that you could give people a free-to-play application and then monetize their eyeballs and their personal data. And so, in retrospect, that seems like kind of the obvious play, but I didn't see it coming necessarily. So, I think that's kind of what we need to focus on if we're talking about the future of metaverse-type applications. What's the business model that is making it possible for people to make money off it? End quote. These have been your immersive headlines. So this is all just going to be very in, informal because this, this is the three of us talking. Um, with us today for this little journalist end of the year talk are... Oh, Todd Martins. I write for the LA Times about video games, theme parks, and uh, immersive entertainment. And? I'm Scott Stein. I write for CNET about immersive technologies, wearable tech, video games, that sort of stuff. And what I what I love about Todd and Scott is that basically like we've we've got ongoing Twitter and Facebook conversations that just are happening, you know, on and off all the time about all the things that are going on and and the way that their two beats overlap with with our beat here. And sometimes the crossover is deep and sometimes the crossover is is hidden but is um is is soon to be obvious to everyone and everything. And Scott, you were just talking about something and why it made us start um, start the recording because you were just mentioning they just brought out um, they brought out like the AR spectacles from Snapchat to you, like not not the ones you can get in the store, but like a prototype thing. Yeah, the developer kit. So they announced these earlier in the year, and this is like the question of how close are we to AR glasses, which is not that close. Um, so I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, I do, yeah. mean, I do mean to laugh actually. <laughs> but, you know, so yeah, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be an, that's, a, that's something we can uh, gripe and question, but uh, snap announced these early in the year. Smartest thing they did was saying that, that they were developer only mm. and there are reasons for that. Um, but they didn't, I didn't get to try them earlier, but then all of a sudden recently they, they made them available for non, you know, for some journalists to actually demo. Um, and, and they brought them out for me to try in my backyard for about 30 minutes. And um, it was a really interesting experience because in one sense, they're like smaller versions of a HoloLens or anything else that I've like magically, um, but they work outside. Um, mm. And I think that they're brighter and they only have a 30 minute battery life. But what was interesting was the idea of like stringing lights from a tree of mine to the porch or like there was a run from a zombies mini lens game where I turned around and there was like a zombie chasing me. Oh, wow. 
it wasn't perfect at all. Um, and sometimes they're like arrows telling me to run forward in one that was like into the trees. <laughs> but it was like, the, but it was the beginning of a moment of like, what happens when this is in the real world? And I've seen surprisingly few moments like that. And I felt like this was beginning to ask those questions. And it's interesting. Yeah. Todd, have you, have you seen any, any whiz bang tech stuff of, of, of late? I've, I've been secluded and have not, have not gotten to demo any of the, the latest kit at all as scott was just talking i was just getting really sad that the pandemic uh curtailed my trip to japan where i would have gone on the ar mario kart ride um Mm. so (laughs) which opened this year but um so you know i haven't seen any whiz bang tech i think a lot of the tech that has like impressed me of late has been just sort of using um, our current forms in sort of inventive ways or in ways I haven't necessarily thought of before. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting. That that kind of came up. That'd be spoilers, but it kind of it kind of comes up in the critics roundtable thing we did internally. They'll they'll drop next week. Oh, cool. Yeah, like not we didn't we didn't go deep on it though. But maybe maybe let's go deep on that now. Like, wh- what do you mean by like using the current tech in ways that are that are inventive? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, just this conversation reminded me of a game that I, I really liked that came out at the start of the year called uh, Blind Drive, uh, two words, and it's uh, available on Apple Arcade. Um, and it didn't get a ton of attention, but it's a really cool audio game. There's been other audio games, but I sort of what sort of stuck with me about this one was um, you essentially play as somebody who's behind the wheel of a car. Your character is blindfolded. Um, I won't spoil the characters in the game that you encounter as to why this mystery is unfolding. Um, and But you interact with uh, primarily this other character who sort of comes in, comes out. He's telling you how to drive the car at times so he can sort of keep tabs on what you're doing. Um, and essentially you turn your phone left or right to uh, turn left or right to avoid any like oncoming traffic or obstacles. Um, and you go through a pretty extensive sort of training uh, a couple training levels to sort of get used to it um, where, you know, you're just sort of dodging traffic, but then as the narrative unfolds and as you start to talk to this, as your character starts to talk to this person, um, the, it starts to become a little bit more fascinating. Um, so that was like a game I wanted to mention that uh, I I'd left it off my year end list at the times, but it was in consideration for it. And um, it's a, it's a game, I think, especially if you have Apple arcade, you should definitely download and give it a play. Yeah, that, I'm I'm shocked that I didn't hear about that one because I don't know. I feel like when something becomes an audio game, I don't know why. It just feels like it instantly drops into our space. I don't know. I don't know why. Like technically, it shouldn't. I guess maybe, but it just feels like it. There's like an inherent act of co-creation if you're if you're having to like not just respond to graphics on a screen, but sort of project out the reality like there's like an inherent act of co-creation to that yeah you definitely feel a little participatory in it like you don't actually get to speak um for that i was thinking of this game called last call which was a a pc game from a video game developer who i've I've long really been a big fan of her work uh, nina freeman um Mm. she did this game with uh jake jeffries and it's a vignette style game um so it's relatively short um, it's a very personal game. It's about domestic abuse. Um, and you're going through a house that is being packed up 
and you encounter all these poems that are sort of in flames. But in order to advance through the house, in order to get to the next poem, you have to tell the character um, what you're thinking. Something like, you know, I hear you, I believe you, I can relate to you. Um, it'll give you some prompts. Um, and once you sort of speak into the microphone, the game will allow you to advance. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff, you know, and that's using relatively simple tech um, in, in terms of like what we consider advanced tech, but um, it's just kind of a nice experience. And it's a way that uses something that is deeply personal and makes it feel deeply personal. Scott, how about you? Have there been some experiences that have uh, turned your head this year? Yeah, they've been kind of across the board and, and similar to kind of what Todd said, I, you know, in a way tech wasn't the centerpiece of the year, or if it was, I found a lot of like half broken things that were <laughs> like had, and, and spectacles is kind of like that where it's not, it's not broken, but it's not fully ready. And it's like, um, this, this felt like that year where, where things were like not fully ready and you're seeing little, little bits and pieces. And I felt like I was kind of hovering, but, um, similar type of tech experience was with a company. I never wrote about this, but I am in the process of it now. A company called Vario. Um, they're a Finnish um, company that make very high-end professional VR headsets. And they had <laughs> sent a unit for a short period of time for me to be able to set up the XR3, which was this like LiDAR equipped $5,000 VR headset in my house, like a ridiculous proposition oh my goodness and um the reason i was so interested in this headset is it had a lot of things that's not on a lot of current stuff the resolution is like retina display level where it's like crazy crisp mm. um like looking almost real they have lidar on the front which is able to like mesh out stuff like like phones and ipads or or ar headsets and stuff that you, you're not seeing quite yet in vr and um and it also does mixed reality. So like similarly, the pass-through cameras will show like a color representation of your of your office or wherever else, like in a lower res version, but then you can layer things into it in VR. And all of and is eye tracking, but like all of these things are supposed to be in play in next year's headsets, like Meta's next headset, um, possibly PlayStation VR2, Apple's reported headset, like I think may start playing with these things. So I thought of it as like an, a fancy test drive. This thing had to be hooked up with lots of cables. Very, um, you know, I had to, I felt like I had to use very high end hardware, but what with the really mind bending moment was when they were guiding me through stuff, we had a zoom and then they were remote controlling me through the demos, like kind of like, you know, with, with a, the ability to kind of tap into the PC and I was casting a virtual monitor into my office while we were doing the Zoom. And then they were also bringing up mixed reality things into my office. Huh. And it well, was and like- you had, you had your headset on, but we're looking- Headset on. And you were looking at your, you were looking at a virtual version of your real monitor and using your keyboard at times and like yes. being on a Zoom call. Launching stuff while on the Zoom, while they can also see me remotely through the provisioning software, oh, wow. and we're launching apps and testing how they connect. And in a way, the the meta experience—not meta—we got to erase that word from it. But I mean, the now that's been co-opted. But the but the uh, but the but the experience within the experience was the most interesting thing. 
because the ability for them to virtually ride alongside me and we're looking at my computer and we're launching mixed reality things and I'm doing this in the headset was the mind blowing part. And I think that's like the crazy preview of something further down the road. Like it's, it's not like, are we connecting in the zoom? It's like, who are we always connected with all the time that we can launch things together with? And how yeah. can we like do this together and can we jump in and out of things? And can I still at the same time cast my like regular devices next to me? Like that's what um, earlier this year with like Facebook's uh, horizon workrooms demo, where we're all like sitting around table in this like cartoon world with, with Mark Zuckerberg and a bunch of people. And like, but that, it wasn't so much we were cartoons. It was that that thing could map my laptop a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I could write on it. And I got heavy vibes of that from Vario. And I think that's, I started doing things like we, we brought like a space station thing into my office and I looked up above at it and like I, I cast a um, Volvo car and like lined it up so I could like kind of like put my chair down and sit down and lean out the window and see my office and like sit back in and, and be in the car and like that starts to get pretty crazy. So, I think so that's, like you summon so you summoned a virtual car, put a chair where the seat car seat would be. Yes. You sit inside the car and you're looking at the car and the dash of the car and out the dashboard window was at your office or was like a, a virtual road? No, out the window out the windows of the car was my office and then there's oh, like wow. a toggle okay. button where it can wipe that out and then turn it into like a you know the streets of like an italian village or, oh, or bring it back yeah okay so yeah now that's getting to be those like william gibson the peripheral vibes right yeah, yeah. and some of this is like no different than what ar can already do except the difference is that ar is either on your phone or it's ghostbusters you know ghostly things cast into the real world this is more of the opaque like overlay and and also the 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 see-through the headset was like robocop you know the the visuals outside in the real world were lower res than my regular vision but they were good enough that i could like start swapping cables in the back and like respond to an email and like the headset's still on Mm. you know like i'm i'm going through and looking at the like the oculus quest already has passed through in like grainy black and white but the next level up could it be something that you're able to wear and still do work? Probably not. But like, it's the striving. This was the weirdest moment of the year, I think, was setting all this stuff up in my home. Uh, and so that really struck me. And then on a super non-tech side, most of my other things were just like reading. And I played less, even though I covered games, I played games less. Um, I did a two-person improv scene with like uh, someone in the, in the, immersive landscape who just had called me and said, do you want to do this, you know, appointment, like on appointment, spontaneous phone call where we both be in a role in this phone call doing improv. And, um, there's, there's been a vibe of that popping up here and there this year. Like when clubhouse was a thing, remember clubhouse when clubhouse was a thing, yeah, right. uh, there was a, a weekend where we messed around and we're doing like, we did a long haul truckers role play, but like, like the concept was, it was like long haul truckers, truckers through a haunted America. And so I was doing like a call-in show routine on it. 
And we did it once. We had a lot of fun. We, we thought about doing it again and like never did it again. And then I just heard that like this week I heard about someone did, I think it was like a 12 hour, or maybe it was only seven hour, but it was like a multiple hour run of role playing a McDonald's drive through on Twitter spaces. And like, I, I think I saw a write up in the verge about it. And so, and, and, and your thing with like Jeff Ward's death reminds me of that. It's just like all, Hey, what if we just like role play together with our voices? <laughs> you know, we don't need more yeah. than that. And it was, it was wonderful. And I think there's something like, I will think of that as like the most magical moments to me are still appointment based improvisational things. And like, you know, simple and magical immersive theater, like third, third rail projects, um, zoom show, which I had signed up for return. The moon was just this, like, I was in a bad state of mind. You know, we sat upstairs in the office in the dark. I had a drink. We, we were looking at this like show of lights and other things and writing out bits of kind of poetry. And like, it was just a remove it was a moment of meditation and remove. Mm. And um, so to me, those were like the moments that I, that meant the most. And then you see a lot of tech throwing, everything post Facebook naming itself meta kind of became a blur at the end of this year, but it's like this acceleration and striving for tech that is still trying to glue itself together is the other part. So something you were saying, I want to toss over to to Todd, because when you were talking about all of the, all the work-based stuff that's been going on in tech uh, and, and Todd's beat is about play, right? That's something I love about Todd's writing. It's like, he's focused on this, like, you know, sort of the art of play. Like Todd, when you look at what's going on in the tech space, do you, do you see, do you see like the, the, the tech press cycle moving away from moving away from the concept of play a little bit? Maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, sniffing around like some weird desperate features editor right now <laughs> but yeah but. I'd, be, I'd be curious to know what sort of thesis you're picking at because i sort of feel like just even if you mentioned you know facebook and meta and the metaverse like isn't that just sort of an acknowledgement of a play driven world um or is it like, or is it or is it like this this like all this hype around web three and i feel like it's like it's already turned into a shopping mall and like the the companies that are getting a lot of buzz are already getting their exits right like you know someone made a note the other day hey what happens when all these decentralized platforms get bought by these giant companies are they decentralized anymore you know um it's just like the same cycle over and over again and and i kind of i mean i guess maybe the the big play story in that is like all of the kind of play to earn or, or this idea that you can like own the assets in a game and then like resell them seems to be really big. And like Ubisoft, I think just announced something along those lines. Right. Yeah. That, that play to earn uh, space gives me, gives me a headache. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels kind of like, it's almost like, it's like work is moving in to play. It's like, it's not, Oh, it's not a game anymore. It's, it's your side hustle. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that turns a game into work and, you know, it essentially, um, is a next generation sort of iteration of something maybe like Eve online, you know, which has an audience, but has a a relatively 
niche audience when you look at the amount of game players in the world. Mm. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm more interested in how we move forward with like the idea that, you know, play is an impactful medium for storytelling and, you know, stuff that we can do in the real world. Um, you know, I think I'm like the only journalist who like really, really loved Pikmin Bloom. Um, I liked it a lot too. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. I, I would love to riff on it for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just loved how simple it was and how easy it was to use. And after two years of up and down stress and, you know, confusion and, you know, still confusion to this day, you know, just this idea that I didn't really use it for its AR capabilities, you know, because its AR capabilities are just sort of like the early like AR kit, like put a sticker in your room. Um, but I used it when I walk around downtown. I live in downtown LA. When I walk around downtown LA and it's like, I'm leaving flowers in my wake all over my neighborhood. And um, occasionally I'll see somebody else on the screen also walking, you know, maybe, you know, two blocks away. And I'm you feel sort of connected in this weird way of we're trying to make the world a better place. Um, oh, wow. We're trying to like sprout flowers and like sprout growth. Um, yeah. I just really loved it. I found, I found like that kind of play experience, like really beautiful. And it also gets me wa- out walking. Scott, you want to, you wanted to riff on it for a bit. And then I, I got some questions for both of you about it. Cause I have not interacted with it all, but what Todd just said made me think of some moments from the early days of Pokemon go, but I'll save that for a second. Scott. Totally. Yeah, and it reminded me of like uh, on the 3DS, there used to be these little like, uh, you know, things that would turn your steps into like game coins. And there's a little little plaza of like games that you could unlock. And 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 it, it gave me those feelings of like early thoughts of gamification and like what I thought things would happen with fitness and and games. And yeah, it was like a little companion. I felt like, um, you know, you, you know, the game's designed like this, but, you know, it's like, hey, your Pikmin have been keeping, you know, looking out for you. They want you to join them on this walk. And again, it was like a kind of a, a mentally down period. And I just felt like here, what got me out to sitting out in this courtyard and, and I, you know, put the Pikmin on the table just for the heck of it for no good reason um, in AR just to see what they'd look like. And there was something... Yeah, there was like a kind of a companionship and there was like a little bit of discovery and it also I didn't know what I was doing like the the game is emergent kind of feels like it's you know there there isn't much of a instruction for what's going on and and I think they leave it kind of open for how things might uh, evolve and I think that's really nice and in about the tempo of what I needed this year like Todd said you know it's like um in a way that's what made me avoid a lot of games because I feel like they had too much that I felt was required of myself. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't ready for that this year, I, unless I was working on it. Um, so I noticed that my, my hours for that went down. So Pikmin Bloom was like ambient, maybe it was, it, it's interesting. Yeah. The ambient thing. I mean, this is also, this is the most anyone's talked to me about Pikmin Bloom all year. So of course I've already pulled it up on my phone and I'll probably download it. <laughs> like when I go get, <laughs> when I go to my lunch, you know, yeah, and be right. like, oh, I'll just well, I'll get some steps in. Um, what Todd was saying reminded me of like those early days of Pokemon go and like walking around Culver city when I was like still going into the office uh, on a lunch break and seeing like a group of people all, all with their hands, all with their phones up and, and doing the flicking motion of like a pokeball and just trading information on the street of like, Oh, there's a Snorlax over here or there's a, there's a, this around the corner. Did you see the, you know, the, 
the whatever the squirtle uh i, I know five pokemon so sorry everybody um <laughs> I should say it's very rare to encounter another person in the Pikmin app. You know, that happened to me when I was at USC for an event. You know, there were clearly other students using it that day. And also when I was at Disneyland, there were a couple other people using it when I was at Disneyland. Um, but I haven't just in my in my neighborhood, like on my surrounding blocks, haven't encountered a, um, a stranger pop up on my app. It just, it, even if it's not happening, it it does point to like there is a press towards these spaces being social and how we're, how we're finding ways to be together, particularly how we're finding ways to be together in a time when that is so, that is so fractured, right? You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of producing like a big in-person event. It's, it's very surreal uh, to be doing it under these conditions. Um, I, I question constantly like, and then, and then I'm reminded that like some of the choices have been taken out of my hands at this point. Like, you know, the pass a point of no return. And you're like, okay, well, I guess we're doing this. Um, and at the same time, you're trying to find ways to like make it all, make it all happen. And I'm just, I, I, I so I'm not nostalgic for 2020 in any way, shape, or form. But there was something a little simpler about a time when it wasn't really our choice. And I kind of feel like when it first looked like things were going to start returning to something akin to normal, I remember back in June of this year when California lifted its mask mandate, we started planning in-person events, we were still being cautious and careful. I was doing things and I was like, okay, we're going to check people's vaccination status, which wasn't even like a requirement at that point, but we were doing that. And that first time we did anything late June and got everybody together. And it was just so amazing and a relief. And then instantly it was like snap back. Oh, here comes this variant. And like, we got a surge and like all of a sudden things are winding down again or winding into like this weird middle where not really winded down, not really totally spun up. Um, and it made it, it made it very difficult. There were shows that cut their runs short. There were attractions like that were that we had opened up here in LA that like struggled uh, after the the mask mandate went went back on, and and there was no more help going to be coming for any of those folks. But also, it was like once we had gotten a taste of that, the idea of going back to just the online stuff, like I haven't done too many online things since, but there also have been fewer. IRL things to do. Oh, we had like a full spooky season here in California, in Southern California. So I can't really complain. Like there's been actually been some great pieces, but it, and maybe even as, as many great pieces as we might have in a non pandemic year, but there's just been something about this. I don't know. It's just so odd. It feels like. <sighs> no, I think you're making a lot of sense. And I think what Scott alluded to with, Pikmin being sort of the speed he was looking for. I mean, if I look at the games that I put on my top 10 list, aside from Halo, and Halo is not all that complex, um, aside from Halo, they're all relatively simple games, you know, because I didn't want to learn systems after a year and a half of staring at a screen. Um, I didn't want to learn like all sorts of new crafting language. I just wanted like a game that was intuitive. Yeah. Yeah, this year for me was it felt more lost. And I think it's like you said, it's not, 
it's complicated. There's there there's like nostalgia for the past no matter what. And I feel like it's like 2020 now has like its own like weird halo of that. And like <laughs> it's like the Stockholm syndrome of like, yeah, like I will admit that I'm nostalgic for it, which which sounds awful. And but it's because, like you said, that there's some sense of like collective, like we're all in this suffering together or something. I don't know, but like no, that makes sense. That makes total sense to me. This, right? It was, it was, it was all, definitely yeah, much more straightforward. There, there were there were two factions. There were the people who were yoloing, and there was everybody else. And now there's now there's the people who have always been yoloing, the people who are starting to yolo, the people who are trying to navigate. Like, well, my job is this live stuff, so I'm gonna go have to go make a living. Otherwise, I have to like find a whole new way of being then there are folks who are like you know their jobs mean they can be locked down you know like well yeah and that and i was about to say like i'm sorry because i know that was already in play even in 2020 like the illusion of like i'm i'm reading uh i don't know i'm reading carrie steingart's um uh our our country friends which is like a a pandemic novel you mm -hmm. know it's like looking back looking back on the old days of 2020 now already and um but it maybe you know it's the differences in, in what what other people were able to do, what they were privileged enough to do, and all these things. But, but I just think now, like the, the feeling I felt in twenty twenty one is, what are the commonalities? Like what what do I connect with someone on? Do I are there still threads? And it, it unsettled me even locally, you know, where people I maybe felt like we were doing the same thing. Now I realize we're maybe not. Mm. And then where how do I meet up with them? How do I connect? And that gets to the social experience or the the communal experience, like. I found it unsteady. So these moments of like improvisation or connecting um, felt more important because they were so hard to initiate. Um, and I felt much, I don't know, I just felt much less able to do them this year. Going forward, that's a question for me is like, how do those happen? What, what, where do companies enter into that picture? Like they all want to, they all want to capitalize off of the, um, off the virtual lives that we lived in 2020 or, or figure out how to build off of them maybe. And, um, and, and the threads are not that clear, you know, it's like there is, there isn't a clean line. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it sounds depressing. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, it, well, yeah. it is right. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to find. I mean, I'll, I'll cop, you know, like there have been so many times in this past, you know, year that I've been like, been aware that I've been in a pretty bad depression, but like been, you know, pushing through it, you know, in all the ways that one pushes through such things, um, cause of like not having any choice. Um, and, and I think one of the harder things, I think this is something that, that isn't just about our spaces, but about the culture as a whole is we are a pretty fractured society right? Like I was thinking about how I was typifying 2020 and being like, you know, well, there's the people who are YOLOing, there's everybody else. Yeah. But there were also all the people who were working in the food packing plants. And there were all the people who were, you know, all the doctors, all the folks who were still working at the drive-in, you know, uh, the drive-through, like they weren't YOLOing. They were doing, they were, they were essential workers, Right. You know, like we gave them a, we gave them a, a, a special title and a little extra hazard pay. And, and some folks did 
everything they could to like, you know, try and loosen, lessen the, the, the burden on them. And then other folks just acted like, you know, why isn't the customer service up to snuff? Um, and if anything, as we've moved out of it, you know, we, we find ourselves in kind of even starker fractions, you know, like there, there's no longer the, the two Americans, two Americas of, of John Edwards slogans. There's like 19 Americas, right? Um, yeah. And um, the thing you mentioned before, there's a total change in, in track, but it's not, but it's also related. Like, in terms of a million different things, you bring up like the whole um, Web3 NFT and all that stuff. And it's like, my feeling at the end of, for the immersive landscape, we were talking about work versus play. And um, my, my, like my feeling is like the meta announcement felt like a, 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 like a, you know, this bomb had, had dropped and like everyone started pivoting more to the metaverse chat and metaverse hype. And as a result, things we already were covering that were immersive were being sort of folded under this new conversational umbrella. At the same time, I felt a lot of like force on the, in the crypto NFT space, like moving in there and a company spatial that had, um, that I've covered a lot that's looked at virtual meeting spaces um, moved over to transitioning really to like, you know, NFTs and, um, more away from headsets. To I, I spoke with them recently, and we're, we're talking about it. And I think that commerce thing in games and in other spaces is wielding a lot of force. And um, it's like chicken and egg. Like some people, are like, well, it's meant to be this way, but it's like, is it also being pressured to be this way? Um, and what about these experiences that already were existing in more delicate areas? How do those live in this? And how much is commerce defining? so many of these decisions i think that's what's like unsettling me as i yeah finish out the year yeah is we're looking you know i talk with a game designer uh creator recently who she was you know very concerned like there's many people concerned about the corporatization of it all and like i don't know it's, it's beyond just the app storification is there's, there's an article i saw it last night um i didn't, I didn't read through it's like and it's written by an investor and it's in the atlantic And it's about, you know, the way this is a big wave of financialization, right? So like, and they're writing it as the point of view of like, this is great. This is good news. Everyone's going to become an investor. And I see people in the NFT space being very excited about this. And I see that. And, and look, I'm, I may get myself in trouble with folks who like, you know, are, 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 you know, you know one degree of separation for me. I look at the idea of like, oh, hey, good. We all get to be investors now. And I, I do not see the financialization of everything as, as, a, as a net good. I flash back to watching The Corporation, that documentary from like the early aughts, which I guess has a sequel that they're producing right now. I found that out the last time I like talked about it. Uh, and there was like a, there was a section of it where there was someone talking about how, you know, the vision was that one day, you know, everyone would be owners of everything. That like we'd all have a financial stake in this stuff and that everything would go through that medium. And that would include like our natural our natural resources. And I look at that and I just think about how this this inherently is 
the thumb's already on the scale for the people who have money and power in these scenarios. And any of these blockchain setups where you can buy in with fiat currency, to, to use a term they love, instantly means that that blockchain is pegged to fiat currency. Even with all the talk about how it's about decentralizing and getting away from the banks. Like, if, if these things, you could have these things set up, you could have these protocols set up in such a way that you couldn't buy your way into them with money or computing resources. You could set it up in a different fashion. And then maybe we'd be talking about, you know, the triumph of the, you know, the triumph of artists. Like I think of, I love that Keanu's out, you know, saying like art's supposed to be experienced. It's not owned. Right. You know, like he's out there saying these things. Cause like, I feel like he, he gets it that way. I mean, I don't want to begrudge any of the artists I know who are finding a way to make a living. It's, it's been a big boon for digital visual artists, but I look at the game market and the way it's like, okay, well, what if it feels like the answer is, well, what if everything was Magic the Gathering? But a Magic the Gathering where Wizards of the Coasts got a cut of every trade and resale, because that's what you could do in the smart contract. Um, I and I think about how that's going to impact, you know, well, if people are selling tickets, you know, like I mean, when they when they did the tickets for Spider-Man, uh, like people got an NFT with that. So like how 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 close to a heartbeat are we where you know you get you buy a ticket to Star Cruiser and congratulations you got an NFT with it right it's your digital collectible but then does that have any resale value right um do you, do you end up just like having like an incredible mountain of just weird digital clutter i already do but i don't yeah it's like i just know that everything going forward it's more like i don't know the answer but it's like question mark question mark question mark like yeah. i see a landscape that's full of complexity and um and it and it has it seems to wield a lot of of power in a lot of these immersive certainly the tech spaces yeah you know and i think I just that worry about a world like, where very clear where, where all yeah. culture is transactional yeah or or it isn't culture if it doesn't have a transactional component to it and like that for me is the ultimate dystopia right where where nothing could happen unless there was a transaction. Like, where's the room for spontaneous, you know, play? Where's the room for for emergent play in a world where everything, well, that happened, it, it must be transacted. Todd. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was nervous you were going to throw it back to me at that moment. Uh, yeah, I think your fears are fears I echo and sort of, I was just thinking like you said, where everything is magic, the gathering as, you know, sort of a simple metaphor for it. Um, I'm still sort of hoping for like everything to be Dungeons and Dragons, which is, you know, like 80% your imagination, you know, and it's um, 80% up to the, up to the user. And um, it's incredibly difficult to monetize um, mm. because everybody knows TSR struggled, <laughs> but um, for multiple reasons, but it's, uh, um, I guess what I would, I guess, you know, what sort of makes me hopeful is I look and see just how many people went to Meow Wolf Las Vegas. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. A lot. Uh, <laughs> a lot, but it was more, more people went there and then went to, you know, uh, 
like more people went there in six months than went to the Albuquerque original Meow space in all of 2019. Wow. Um, you know, so I think it was something like 300,000 in six months or yeah, whatever. I, I don't want to get the fact incorrect, but it was, Correct. it was quite a huge number. Um, so that to me is hopeful. And it's also hopeful to me of like people like I was a big fan of therapist Esther Perel doing a conversational card game. Um, you know, it's similar to the, uh, it was on the no pro gift, gift list, social alchemics, which is also a great game. Um, but just sort of games that get you to talk to people and get you to sort of be in the real world. Um, and even on a tech side, there's this company that's working with uh, Disney and working in the theme park space called Illuminix. Mm. Um, they do augmented reality and they're focusing almost exclusively on your phone because they want it to be, um, something that is able to be accessed, you know, by regular people, um, but unlike, say, a Pokemon Go, where it's just sort of you open your phone and there's a Pokemon sort of in your flower pot, not in your flower pot, um, the Illuminix stuff will actually put like Minnie Mouse on a bridge or on a balcony in Main Street. And you could walk around her, you know, 360 and you can see her as if she's on the bridge um, on the balcony. Sorry. Um, so that kind of stuff is is exciting me as well. And that's, you know, a little bit more of a simple use of AR maybe than putting on glasses. Um, but it's all making me excited for the future, as is the as is the Star Wars uh, Star Cruiser, if I could if I could find six thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you only need you only need three thousand dollars. He's gonna find true, someone to true. go with you. So true, correct. <laughs> so I just gotta find three thousand dollars, Todd. So <laughs> if I can do yeah. that, yeah. We'll put a GoFundMe up uh for, for us. <laughs> send send these sad Star Wars fans into another galaxy. We'll promise we won't return. No. Um <laughs> that won't get backlash at all. <laughs> That is the nice part that the conversations are all for, for whatever, however people are trying to spin it for, for profit. Um, the conversations about like immersive are, are, are stronger than ever. And mm. it's, it's become, people have a much more, I think, awareness of it. And that's exciting because it could lead to interesting ideas with, with, with people um, that, that hadn't existed before. And I think like more complex ones, ones that are, like you're saying, like at a more optimistic level, like, um, plus like people always bend, bend the rules that companies lay down and, you know, there's always art breaking everything. So like, uh, I am positive that will continue, um, no matter what, how inescapable some of it seems. Yeah. The, pe- the pendulum ha- has to s- swing and there's thesis and antithesis. So like maybe, maybe there's some hope in the fact that like it's gotten, to a level of being like absurd and, and maybe some happy medium will, will emerge. Right. Cause like the, the, yeah, like, I don't know the, the trend finance is interesting. Transactions are interesting. Just like that there's a medium of exchange that people use to like exchange value, like as a, as a philosophical idea is fascinating to me. Um, and just that, uh, just, just the way the, the the things I'm just looking at are just the way that like it feels like every time we we um, do derivatives or disassociate 
markets from something that feels like inherent value, we we run the risks of just distorting things so deeply. Um, even as we forget that like the vast majority of economic activity is not happening in those spaces. It's just a growth market, which is why it's attracting so much attention is that, you know, the valuations haven't settled yet. So people are pouring resources into there thinking that maybe the valuations will, will go. Um, and I suppose if I had like spare capital, I'd probably be participating in these markets um, to see, you know, if, if the money would go to the moon or whatever the hell they say. Um, I mean, maybe I wouldn't because I'm, I am so fascinated in like, you know, story and connection and, and, you know, what's, what's going on between people. The older I get, the more I realize it's, it's the drama. It's the dream that I'm interested in. It's the mm-hmm. characters uh, and almost everything else can just like go away. <laughs> Magic doorways and talking to people. I feel like those are the things. Yeah. That like whenever there are opportunities to do both that I'm uh that I get excited and it doesn't need to be high tech mm. for that, but it can be, or it doesn't even have, you know, it could be a real, real place or it could just be people on the phone or, um, it's, I'm, I'm excited to see what an unleashed 2022, uh, pumped full of metaverse hype is going to, uh, bring us with announcements let's let's go I'm there also worried yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's go there what, is, is there anything is there something not a prediction but is there something something you hope to see in the months ahead and then i'll, I'll toss that to todd and then we'll, we'll we'll call this a wrap um for me oh, like regard oh go ahead no go for it oh start with uh, yeah, yeah i was gonna start with sky then i was gonna toss it to todd <laughs> Oh, I thought you said I'm going to start with Todd. No, sorry, sorry. Right I'll, I'll toss it to Todd, no, then we'll call it rep. Yeah. No, start with Scott. Start with Scott, because okay. I was just okay. going to riff for a second. Yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about this now. Like To me, 2022, like, everyone keeps going, as far as the metaverse stuff, like, people are like, oh, it's already here, or it already existed, or it's a, it's kind of everything to, to every person, depending on how you spin it. But I do think that, like, what'll be interesting is that we clearly don't have all the all the tech and all of the um all the ideas software wise that will make some of this stuff like have a flow or have it be um interesting like you know i think flow like quest 2 has flow sometimes or like Mm. it can feel like i can lose myself in it and other times it definitely can't and there are other moments where like a game like pikmin bloom will fade into the black background and feel part of things and other times it won't and I think there'll be more stuff that explores these things in interesting ways. Like it won't always work, but like between the hardware wise, like the quest two has kind of been the only game despite all the other headsets. Yeah. Um, but I think that's going to really change next year and that will be exciting because I think you'll have new definitions and new ideas being thrown out and inevitably. I, I would imagine so many creators who have already been working on things through this pandemic that are ready to start showing stuff because 2021 was kind of a, 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 a slow go. And I'm super excited about that. I just hope I get a chance to see it all because I'm still pretty locked down myself. Todd, how about you? Now, now, now I'll toss it to you. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you sure. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Sorry about that. No, it's, so my, it's literally my fault. It's my fault. <laughs> Um, well, I think it's going to be an incredible year for uh, video game fans. I think, uh, especially those who own a PlayStation Five, you're going to get um, you know a sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, which looks incredible. 
um, was going to be the uh, multi-console uh, multi game uh, Elden Ring, which everybody is super excited about. The uh, latest from, from software um, with contributions from George R.R. R. Martin. Um, and that's out pretty early in the year. So I think you're going to start seeing some next-gen games um, that are really wowing people um, pretty early. And then, you know, we have a Halo series. We've got an Uncharted movie. We've got a Last of Us series. Um, so I'm certainly just looking forward to the continued push of, like, video games becoming mainstream culture. And, you know, the stuff that I enjoy, I feel like, you know, like, I feel like whatever is, like, the latest A24 film, as great as it is, you know, like, so few people see it compared to the amount of people who play Halo, yet it doesn't dominate the discourse, or it dominates the discourse in a way more than Halo does. Although, although Halo's having quite the moment right now, like that's true on the discourse, like on the Reddit, on the Reddit world. Oh, especially. but even more than I, mean, I'm I'm seeing articles popping off just about. There was a great article the other day. I can't remember. Was, I can't remember where it was at, but it was basically about people saying, "I haven't thought or talked or played this much Halo in 15 years." I have. That's great. I have friends. Someone writing basically, I have friends who I haven't gamed within a decade who are like, who are hitting me up at all hours, being like, "Oh, our." Are, are you on? I love that. Right? Like, and, <laughs> and it, it helps that one, it's really good. Right? It's a very it's good Halo. And it's the first free-to-play Halo. So so if, if anyone can't tell, I've been playing a lot of Halo. No, uh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, we should play. But Oh, we totally um, should think, play. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the continuation of video games becoming mainstream in, in a way that sounds silly because you and I know they've been mainstream forever and so does Scott. But like, well, It could be like the Marvelization, right? It's like... Yeah. It, there, there's a canonization that everyone's been waiting for. Like, like Gen X gamers like us, like have long wanted the legitimacy, right? Like, where's the good video game movie, right? Like, yeah. when when is when is our when is the aesthetics of our stupid culture going to be canonized in the same sure. way that the, um, you know, it, and it happened for comic books, and it feels like it's video games' yeah. turn. And maybe just maybe it will be between the Halo series and The Last of Us. And and it's because it is about the aesthetics and the telling and how the stories are told. Although that also makes me think about have either of you guys seen the trailer for uh what is it? Everything Everywhere All at Once? I think. Yes. Yes. Right? I have. Yeah. yeah. I kind of got excited yesterday when I saw that. Yeah. So speaking of A twenty four, but you know, Daniels that that directing duo i've been following their career since they were making music videos like even before their daniel radcliffe farting corpse movie whose name i can't remember <laughs> but which i, I didn't which, which i didn't like like i was very like all like it just it was so just intentionally off-putting in so many ways and like it didn't do it for me but that michelle yao starring uh trailer i was just like well they someone finally nailed a multiverse story but there's also there's that is that is clearly something that is influenced by comic books, MTV, and video games. Like the aesthetics of that um, of that trailer reminded me of like being in the hands of like a master game storyteller, like with the way mm. that the the frame is being played with. You know, it it might as well have been a Kojima production at certain points. <laughs> No, totally. Yeah. And I'm excited for all of that. And that movie looks great. I didn't mean to. Yeah. No, I, I love all. Yeah. Yeah. You, you no. know what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm also just real quick excited for the opening of the Star Cruiser, just because I want to see how it's going to go. I think the impact on culture that will or won't have, depending on how people respond to it, um, I think is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, that that's, you know, it, it, it's going to have so few people go through it. Um, but then you, you think about, you know, the impact on culture, you think about the impact on the on the media culture that something like to talk NFTs again for a second, you know, board ape, board ape yacht club has, right? Because you have a lot of digital influencers with money and you have celebrities making a lot of noise about this thing and that it's tied to physical parties, right? And, and a lot of money. So here's this other thing that is expensive by a layman's term, but not expensive compared to like one of those, you know, basically country club tickets. That That's what that thing really is. That's what a basie really is. Um, and will it have the same, will it, will it have the same splash? Um, or is that baked in because it's star Wars? Uh, I mean, I know if, if I got a chance, I'd probably talk about nothing, but for, I mean, I already talk about nothing. (laughs) My regrets about not going to real locations continues with that. I've never, I never got a chance to go to galaxy's edge and, um, and uh, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But, you know, you know, the, the, that's on top of it, something I've been having FOMO about. But it's interesting because I think about the tiering of it, you know, mm. like, is this like a, is, it, is there going to be kind of like a luxury class immersive or luxury class like, you know, in 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 theme parks or in in the landscape of this? It's it's that's also intriguing because it's like, you know, the experience within the experience. Yeah. I'm, is like fascinating. I mean, me. there already is a luxury class and immersive. I mean, there's already VIP tickets. There's already, you know, people, I mean, aside from the folks who like do travel to go to things, right? Like that's that whole layer right. to it. But you take something like Secret Cinema's production of Arcane that had a VIP ticket that was twice the price of the normal ticket. And, you know, from, from, all, from all post-action accounts, you know, it seemed like, you know, that was the better experience if you were someone who wasn't necessarily uh, willing to like be aggro or like stand in line once they like got things spinning up to like full, full ticketed price, like the onboarding, you got a much better onboarding in that, with that ticket than you did with the standard ticket. And so that's, that's a whole thing, right? That there's a concierge service part of it. Um, And, I definitely, you know, we often point to something that's almost like a fine dining model when it comes to the experiences, right? But again, the, it's the difference between picking up a game on your phone, picking up a free-to-play game, going to a movie or watching something on Netflix or going to a fancy dinner, you know, going to see Hamilton, yeah. right? Like there's this, there's a full range of economic activity that happens within it all. Um, and obviously Star Cruiser is like, you know, a, a big outlier. Although the way people talk about the price, you know, if you add up the price of like a, a two night Disney vacation at a hotel property with tickets, you're already looking at, you know, probably like a thousand dollars a person. Right. So it's still a big premium. But if you do, uh, I, I... I'm assuming what Disney was probably looking at was maybe experiences such as like a Coachella. You know, if you do a VIP experience of Coachella, mm. you're out two, three grand yeah. per person. Star Wars Coachella confirmed. So <laughs> there you go. It's going to be fascinating to see how that, 
how it plays out. Yeah, I'm, I'm and the level of choreography, like, um, yeah, it's. I keep waiting for even more of that to emerge in spaces beyond beyond theme parks. I guess it, it's mm. a, in some degree it already exists, but there's a lot of overlap. I was talking to somebody else doing like lighting today for immersive spaces, and I was thinking about the degree to which like those traveling immersive shows could start becoming more elaborate or even like um, house more enable shows to become more modular and um, experiences to become more modular and, and multiply. It sounds very vague. No, I, I, (laughs) I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of what does the, what does a flat in immersive look like, like, like a film flat or like a stage flat? Like, how do you, how do you, what do you need to have those walls be wired up? You know, like, could, could you build a unit that was like super modular so that you had all these different points to like put the technology in, but also like, okay, I need this many doors and this many stages. Like I'm completely obsessed with that idea, you know, like, you know, until we have like magic matter, you know? Yeah. I think there's quite like if the success of, uh, of star cruiser or even just the fact that it exists like that, um, all the metaverse talk, like there's going to be a lot of changes the way that people think about like physical spaces mm. and designing these. I don't know. I get kind of really it, this is making me realize, you know, like oftentimes we think, or I don't know, we oftentimes I find myself thinking about something like star cruiser or something like the metaverse or something like NFTs as like a teleological endpoint, which is such a mistake, right? These are not the ends of the stories. The question with something like star cruiser or the metaverse or NFTs is, what comes after it? Is this is this the endpoint of this particular evolutionary line, or is it going to inspire and shake it out? Right. Like my hope for Star Cruiser is that it's not the apotheosis and the be all and end all of immersive, but it is in fact winds up being looked back on as oh, no, this was an inflection point. This is this is the big bang. Like there was the universe before, and then this was like exposed it to this like other group of people or it was such a success that disney was like we need four more things just like this and universal says like yeah and we need 19 and then it just becomes an arms race for making this stuff um and then you know more jobs more people who are skilled at making it more artists who want to make weird stuff um I mean, it was before the pandemic, but I mean, Meow Wolf said they were going to open a hotel in Vegas. I, I don't know if I haven't been following if that's officially canceled or not. I thought it was in Phoenix. F- Phoenix. That's what I said, right? You said Vegas. Oh, Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, they opened a spot in Vegas. They're supposed to open a hotel in Phoenix. Um, and then, yeah, and then you're seeing people like companies like Airbnb talk about more immersive experiences for their guests. So I don't know. So I'm curious how the influence of something like the Star Wars Hotel will shake out. Yeah, yeah. I, I it, it may maybe maybe we're coming to maybe we're coming to a Big Bang. You know, maybe that's what's ahead of us. Now that gets me excited. Now I'm now I'm optimistic again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe just like fresh new creative collaborative things, like the ways people could like bring some you know, how do you create the walls for this or how do you allow people to get more savvy? And this is what a lot of the um, social spaces in, in, in VR or, or even the metaverse games are kind of all already based on, but, you know, creating your own little space or building tools to do things or, you know, are we going to start seeing more improvisational stuff and, and, and what are people going to have more tools baked into them from knowing more of the stuff? Or is it, 
going to be more of like, I just want to, I think about the sleep no more arc. We were trying, someone was talking with some recently about like the, it became more touristy and, mm. you know, um, uh, and I, I, you know, are people just going to not want to deal with bringing too much to the table themselves or will it spawn a whole new world of uh, real collaborative, interesting weirdness? I mean, I, th- I mean, I think, I think the, a full ecosystem has both, right? You know, I think, I think where it gets, when my question is like, you know, will you have clash when you're in a space, right? You know, like you go to a show and you have, you have a lot of people in it and you have the people who are just like out of their depths. You have the people who just, just want to do loose play. And then you have the people who want to like solve it. Right. I think you can kind of see that unfolding with the secret cinema arcane here in LA. Right. Mm. Like, and I think, you know, some of the experiences you can have, like I, I know a couple of people have gone a couple of times and I know some people who like bounced off of it pretty hard when they, when they went the first time. And so much of that had to do with, you know, did you, was your onboarding clear? Did you, were you able to orient yourself? Did they orient you for you? Uh, and uh, did you get a good luck of the draw when it came to not having to queue up to wait to talk to an actor? And what's, what's, What's interesting as I collect everyone's stories is I, I find out that the, my experience, where I kind of like VIP track at the start, get a get a you know wait a little bit of my turn you know in in the VIP track thing, given my assignment, execute my assignment, don't have too many things going getting in the way of it, um, probably because it was not maybe necessarily as populated the night I went as it would be in later nights, uh, which definitely affects things but then quickly fell off the tracks and kind of floated in between and made my own fun and had a blast for doing so. Um, that, uh, that's such a, a, a outlier. And so many other folks are either going to be on the tracks as if it was a fully designed experience for them or they go in with their objectives, which is like, I want to win the metagame or I want to solve all of these types of puzzles. Uh, and the people who could like create spaces that afford those different play styles, like I think it's going to be quite some time before we can have physical spaces like that. But I do think that's where some of the stuff that goes on in the digital spaces of immersive in the metaverse stuff, like, you know, in your, in your VR chats and your alt spaces and your Neos, you know, VR spaces where people are playing around with those dynamics, we may see more of those types of play styles emerge and then maybe get ported back to reality. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I did the thing where I do the thing. Um, well, I think about like, I think about all the escape rooms that, that, spread everywhere and um your your thing about the race to solve the puzzle reminds me of like the i was just talking with flora hall about like about her book and um planning your escape and and um you know i think about the not only the styles of like racing versus like are you gonna enjoy the journey but also like that that spread of a particular um genre that ended up in all these local towns like will the you know, will the galactic star cruiser like mm. spawn? Will we see new local immersive forms pop up 
Cause again, it's like people who can travel, but also like, what about just like stuff to do in your area? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like there's just, it would be interesting to see like new formats possibly pop up as a result. I have no idea. Yeah. Will there be like local immersive hotels? <laughs> Will Maybe. that become like a, a thing everywhere? Maybe. Maybe. Could be. Could definitely be. I know there's and there's some escape room hotels around the country. There's a few here and there. So maybe it becomes a thing. Well, guys, I said 20 minutes ago, I said we do a thing and then wrap it up and then 20 minutes pass because I, I, I derailed us. My bad. Um, any last thoughts about anything that stuck out for this year or, or looking forward to next year before we, we head off into the sunset of uh, 2021? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm satisfied. Me too. We did an hour. That's pretty good. Uh, we set up for thirty. I don't think did yeah. sixty. I'm 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 content. So <laughs> sounds good. I could talk forever about a lot of these things, and then there's like oh the whole other rabbit holes. Oh, um, all three of us can. So that's 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 why we do yeah, this. That's also yeah, limited this to like once a year. <laughs> yeah, I will just say I don't know how long. I don't. I don't know. Everyday glasses are a real big question for me. Mm. I tried to like put lenses into uh facebook's glasses and like they wouldn't get serviced at the local lens crafters and like i was just thinking like we're not even at the point where you can like wear the designing stuff that you can wear on yourself all the time to take that in is like has not even happened yeah vr is very like pop in pop out so i agree like real world experiences or things that can happen around you with others still take on a tremendous amount of value because you're not going to be in that stuff you just can't be in that stuff perpetually yet. And pr- thank maybe thankfully, um, but like, but it's, but it really is like not a thing that is formed. And so I'm always interested in the next steps as people try to juggle that Qualcomm trying to figure out smart glasses. Um, I'm super interested in PlayStation's next take on VR because that's gaming. Mm-hmm. And we talk about gaming and play. We have like, you know, talk about Apple and like, there's a lot of apps and other things and meta but Sony is like all about the entertainment experience. So I just, I just want to say like, that's, I'm really intrigued about how they define what, what the VR relationship is for people now in, in 2022. Yeah. That's going to be a fascinating one. Um, oh, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole door to walk through, uh, but I'll, I'll keep it shut for now. Like, we'll you know what, we'll, we'll, uh, when, when that gets announced, we'll, we'll come back around and talk about that and, and talk about, the relationship of VR and the gaming market and all this sort of stuff. Cause I think there's a, there's a, there's a hell of a lot to discuss about that. And that's definitely a good one for all three of us to, to dive into. So gentlemen, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being, thank you for being my friends on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and for also for, for coming on and onto this ridiculous little program of ours and, and talking with me about this stuff. Anytime. Right. Thanks. <laughs> Joining us now is friend of the show, artist Annie Saunders, who longtime No Pro listeners will know was our very first interviewee. <laughs> um, and uh, Annie, we were talking to then about uh, The Day Shall Declare It, which is a piece here in Los Angeles. Most recently, a very different piece, Current, was in New York. And Annie, let's, let's actually start with Current. Uh, for for those who didn't get a chance to catch it in New York, uh, what was it, and w- might they get a chance to catch it again? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so nice to be here. And thank you so much for reminding me um, about being the first, the first timer um, many you, years yeah, ago. Yeah, even before we had a podcast feed, I think I threw it up on SoundCloud. It was like episode wow. zero. Wow. So cool. What an honor. Um, yeah, so really, thank you so much for having me. And I uh, yeah, two, two very divergent works that we're talking about t- today in terms of like thinking back to the episode we did about the day she'll declare it and now talking about current, which is a, um, was a, a audio experience, a sound walk in, in lower Manhattan that closed this year on October 8th, 2021. And hopefully we'll, we'll have another life in that area. But, um, I guess something that occurred to me when you were speaking is the through line of those two pieces is about place. Uh, and location and site specificity. So both pieces, although at first glance, you know, look very different in terms of material and audience experience. Um, you know, current is takes place outside. <laughs> um, audiences are on their own phone and their own headphones. The day shall declare it took place in a in a disused warehouse that we completely took over and created this kind of insulated insular world of the story, but, but both of them were very much, um, in response to where they were and used the location where they were as the, one of the primary texts, so to speak. Um, so I would say that that's kind of a through line. Um, but current was a a piece that was commissioned by arts Brookfield, uh, which is the arts commissioning arm of, of Brookfield properties. So also similar to other pieces of mine and the day shall declare it in particular in the sense that one of the primary partners was a property company. Mm. Um, something that comes up often when we're doing site specific work is like a, a real, um, primary, both in the sense of like importance and in terms of chronological, um, elements, (laughs) often a primary partner is, um, is a property company or a property owner or, you know, a building or a space, the space, you know, what? the space leads in, in many, in, in more ways than one, you know. I've never formulated this question uh, this way. And, but, but we've known each other so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like you're someone I can't ask this and, and who would have an interesting answer. Um, what is in it for them? What's, oh, what great. is, what is in it? Yeah. What do you, what do you think is in it for like the, the property folks? So, I mean, Brookfield's relatively aggressive i mean like Mm. bits of um in terms of like booking art in i know that for instance uh then she fell a piece of it Mm -hmm. was was originally part of a commission i think multiple pieces of it were commissions related to brookfield one of which Mm -hmm. was here in los angeles which Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know Mm -hmm. uh right in like the big b of a building Mm -hmm. in front of the kaiser which is where my doctor is so like like they're they, they they have a whole program that they're constantly putting art onto their properties but like that's right but, but why what do they get out of it yeah and i'm glad they do get something out of it but still. totally and it's interesting i mean once you sort of start to understand it it actually makes a lot of sense i mean um it, it depends it depends on the partner a- across the board like what what's in it for a for a property owner or a property um, developer there, it, it depends on, on the person and on the building and on the project and are where they are in the development of their project as well. And their priorities either as an individual or as a company, um, with Brookfield in particular, 
I mean, you know, of course, caveat to say I don't work for Brookfield Properties. I don't, I don't know what their inner um, yeah, kind of logic is. Yeah. <laughs> but what I, um, what just so so speaking only from my experience as an artist who was commissioned by Brookfield to make make a piece, um, their the what's in it for them is the bringing of people to their spaces. Um, and that's either as like people who are experiencing those buildings, if the building is um, a building that's open to the public, like the Brookfield Shopping Center in Lower Manhattan, for example, which wasn't part of my piece, but is a piece where, where artworks take place. So that could be like the public coming to those buildings, or it could be um, uh, like a, a, a large part of their marketing who their marketing goes out to are like the, the commercial tenants of their properties. Um, so if you're going to rent office space in, in any, you know, high rise, uh, building in lower Manhattan, you have a number of reasons why you might choose to rent your commercial space from any particular developer. And that decision might be based in some part on like the um, priorities and amenities that that property company is offering. Mm. So this tower block might have like a gym and a climbing wall and a sweet green and like a <laughs> nap room. I don't know, you know. Um, and then Ooh, this a nap room. Yeah. <laughs> and then, where is this building? And, and this, they might this, live there. This <laughs> property company might be offering. You know, um, we have a whole arm of our company that commissions artwork. So there's going to be performance. There's going to be concerts. There's going to be theater. There's going to be experimental work. There's going to be murals. There's going to be like talks by artists. There's going to be events that you can go to. And it, um, and it's a, a point of appeal for commercial tenants coming in mm. as well as like the public coming into those, to those buildings. And, and also, I mean, what I really found with, with Arts Brookfield that is a shared value is, you know, everything that they commission is free mm. and everything that they commission is publicly visible in some way. So it's, yeah. it's, it, they, they share a really deep, um, priority of mine, which is about accessibility and the kind of, and is that kind of relates to, in my imagination to what you were talking about earlier about the metaphysics of, of magic and the, <laughs> physics, the physics of magic don't, as well in the sense. Don't tell the normies <laughs> that I'm a weirdo. Shh. I was talking um, about role-playing games. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> They I know. mean, technically, yes, but still. Um, <laughs> um, that I have a very deep um, uh, priority toward artworks that can be happened upon, so to speak, you know, mm. um, that are in non-traditional spaces, are, that are in public space, that are in spaces where um, there's less of an expectation that an artwork might be there. You know, all these kind of things are really important to me as a site-specific creator and and arts brookfield in particular but certain also just working with commercial property developers um, and owners of of vacant spaces or interim spaces or non-art spaces or spaces in transition this conversation about the stumble upon ability of site um, is a shared value often. 
um, to create something that's unexpected and surprising and um, that you can run into while you're on your way to something else, as opposed to like, if you buy a ticket to a, an institution and you show up at a certain time, you know, you know, you know what's going to happen um, to a certain extent in terms of form, right? Maybe when you get into that theater and take your seat, then you get blown away and all of your expectations are, are blasted. Um, it's what we all hope for. <laughs> but- and you, and you, you know, to be clear with folks who maybe aren't familiar with your, your Irv, um, a word I love saying, but it's also very weird and, and <laughs> consciously pretentious. You is. Um, oeuvre. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you've worked in those forms. You know, you work. You work in theater. You work not just site specific, but you've. You know, I've I've seen pieces of yours in like, you know, the theater at the Getty uh, Villa. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. or at when Four Larks had their space. It was actually the same piece, yeah. like in, in two different. Yeah conditions which were very much not you know site specific works but also you know you've done large-scale active you know you've done marketing activations what was it adidas i think you know like yeah and And, and, uh, it's uh, asics asics sorry sorry (laughs) my mistake not yours so that's good i you know i will say like i yes i work across a, a wide variety of spaces and the site specificity of the work and the importance of place um, remains a through line. So whether that space is a theater or a warehouse or a public space or, um, you know, yeah, a a city street or whatever, um, or a very well-known arts institution, right? We made four shows at the LA Phil in 2019 at the Music Center. Um, Very well-known performance space, but I made these four pieces that were, in kind of different, less expected parts of the building and use the building in a non-traditional way. And that was really the ask, you know, it was like, we want to, we want to approach this location in a specific and, um, uh, divergent manner. Um, can you do that? And I'm always like, so grateful and humbled and, and excited to, to respond to that call. And I think, so yeah, site, site specificity, even when we're in a theater venue, I'm always thinking about the space and the audience experience from the front door and what their experience and their trajectory is like physically in the physical space. And I think that, you know, just to come back around to the idea of like what's in it for the commercial landlords, which I think is a great question. And, you know, sometimes it's about, yeah, what they care about. Sometimes it's about what they, you know, that it's helpful for them to have the building occupied. Sometimes it's about their, the, the, the type of marketing that they're doing and the people that they're trying to appeal to. But what I find really lovely in talking to real estate folks (laughs) is that they get it. They, they, they are into space, you know, they're like, they understand the, the magic and the, um, the possibility that exists in, um, just the, just the spaces that we have access to, to create experiences. And they understand that the relationship between experience and physical locations, you know, give me some degree of heart to know that. And I'm sure it's not uniform, right? There's just plenty of, there's, there's such a, at least in terms of the 
conscious sort of media focus of our society, everything is just about how high of a number can you rack up on your, on your, you know, your balance sheet. But mm-hmm. that isn't even necessarily indicative of the vast amount of economic activity that happens in, mm-hmm. in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we are very bad as a species at kind of understanding complex systems or understanding, mm-hmm. you know, that there's, there's these hidden currents that are doing mass amounts of even, even from the transactional standpoint, like there's all this buzz about crypto and like, Oh, crypto can do all of this and this. And you go, yeah, but like the, we already have a digital infrastructure that's doing trillions of dollars worth of transactions every second or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, get real, you know, but but people can't get real because people have a limited bandwidth of their perception. And just knowing that there's this um, current, even in like commercial real estate of folks who are in it because they actually enjoy spaces and they enjoy things happening and they understand, you know, the, the value, not just monetarily, but the value of a, sp- of a place having a story attached to it. Mm. Right. You know, um, someone who's got, you know, either a connoisseur or or an artist's bent and you you look at a building and it looks kind of cool and you're like, how long has a building been here? What's the story on that? And then you, you know, you flip through and you find a way to uncover the story and you start to understand what was happening there. And then you, you sort of see how it weaves itself into the rest of the fabric of our lives. It's, it's good to know that there's some folks on the business side of all this who, maybe vibe with that you know I think I think when we you know something that I'm really trying to embody in my life and my working practice is like approaching everyone potential partners in in particular but everyone with this spirit of like in what way do we care about the same things and when I talk to real estate developers when we get to this level of walking into a building that is, you know, set for redevelopment or it's vacant or it's in an interim moment or it's not sure what it's going to be next or it's ready to lease, but it's not leased yet or whatever. We walk into the empty space and we have this feeling of what can this be? That Mm. is a shared um, experience, you know, the, yeah. the walking into a space and the go and and kind of like feeling it and listening to it and looking at it and thinking like wow like what is this where are we what could this be what does it remind me of oh it's kind of like a a ship or it's kind of like a you know it feels like it has architectural character from this era like what does that remind me of or it has these you know, really high windowsills, like what does that feel like? Or what if there were people up there? Or what if there was light coming out of this hole in the wall? Or, you know, like just coming into a space and being like, what is this? Where are we? And what could this be? What can I see and feel in this space experientially that, you know, that maybe no one else can see that I can make a reality and then offer to people? Like, you know, a lot of different people who are not artists are also thinking about that. I don't know if you read this beautiful piece um, very early in the in the pandemic um, about this restaurant in New York City called Prune. 
um, that closed and the, the I did not I did the not. proprietor whose name is escaping me right this second um, uh, wrote this long piece for the New York Times about closing the restaurant and there's one paragraph in it where she says you know now sometimes I go um, <laughs> makes me emotional she's like I go there and I sit in the shuttered restaurant mm. and I listen to the space and I try to hear what it wants to be next. And I, and I, you know, yeah. and she's, and then at the end of the paragraph, she says, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can put, put, put post it if you do like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. She I'll try says, to remember to. <laughs> she says, um, she says, sometimes I rearrange the furniture. <laughs> oh. And I just, you know, I related to it so much. Yeah. You know, that like yeah. that is that is the at its quietest moment, the making of site-specific performance is about listening to the space and like trying things out. You know, what if they go here? Or what if this chair is here? What would that make me do if I was an audience member, you know? This is taking me back. This is taking me back to like running around the UC Berkeley campus while I was in college. I didn't go to UC Berkeley. I went to SF State. But like we would play, we would LARP on the Berkeley campus because it's a gorgeous mm-hmm. campus. And like finding little nooks and crannies and being like, oh, this is where the vampire council like judges people. And it's this like court mm-hmm. circular courtyard mm-hmm. off of a science building, you know, and just like running around and, and uncovering, you know, all these little spots in a, in a public space. And it's like, well, this is what the story of this could be, you know, mm-hmm. like, what is it telling? Like, and that, that, that got baked into me. So I, like, I would walk into like, I still walk into a building, you know, there's, there's some lovely indoor malls in Cleveland. Mm. And, you know, the first time I saw one, like it just took my breath away. I was like, Oh my God, the things we could do here, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a great, I mean, it's a great we, impulse. We use, I mean, two things, you know, that, 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 that article reminded me of a number of things, a couple of them are, you know, the reminder that we are in the hospitality business, you know, that we are inviting people, we're throwing parties, ultimately. Um, we're inviting people into spaces that we've, where we've made something up um, with a sense of occasion and, and, and invitation and inclusion. And also, and so we have, you know, when you ask about like real estate, the, the sort of seeming um and i know this wasn't your question and not how you phrased it but this kind of sense of like how could they care about what we care about you know? <laughs> no and that's you know it's we find, it's in there you know? we find that they do in the sense of when i say the feeling of walking into somewhere and thinking what could this be you know is a shared feeling between across industries that might seem very different than our own, you know? Um, and yeah, what, what are we, what are we looking for? If not, um, shared a sharing Mm. between ourselves of what we care about or what we think is moving or what we think is important. And, um, 
And, you know, as you story know, we I tell love. together a thing that happened to all of us that, totally. we, that, I, yeah. that hopefully we remember fondly, right? Like, you know, like not a, not a big traumatic thing, you know, because yeah. we can point to plenty of those, uh, plenty of shared right. traumas in, in the past decades. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, I, and I love working with, um, I love, I, I find it exhilarating to find those shared values, you know, uh, in places where they might not seem so on the surface too, you know? Um, so yeah. Does that, does that answer your question? I, I, I think it, <laughs> I think it, uh, I think we've done a really awesome job of, of exploring exploring this in in an in a very classic no pro <laughs> podcast way of like taking something that looks like a simple question and excavating it for the the complexities that are in there and not not to like run around like I'm not patting myself on on the back I'm patting you on the back like um <laughs> like there's there's dimensions to this stuff like you know in a moment, I'm going to ask like, well, you know, are people going to be able to like catch current coming back and like what's mm. next and all that sort yes, of stuff, yes. right? Like slip into like yes. the late night. Talk and I can tell, I didn't really talk about the project, but it was made site specifically in lower Manhattan. Um, it is a theatrical experience. So it, it's triggered by location and time of day. I learned so much in the pandemic and particularly through that project about what liveness means to me, what, what makes something feel theatrical and really the, Hmm. the attention and the control on some level of time and space. If you are in control of the time and the space, then you are making performance. Um, Ooh, I like that. If you are in control of the time and the space, then you are making performance. And so of course in lower Manhattan, we can't control the space. There might be a roadblock. There might be a, you know, fire truck. All these different things might happen to the audience. So it's not about, and it, it, similarly in live theater, right inside of a theater mm-hmm. building, there are many unpredictabilities and that's why we work in this medium in many ways, you know. Um, but the way that current works is it it is you have no control of the audio as an audience member. You have to access the URL at a specific time of day. Um, and we did that mainly for, so that is our control of the time and the space. So in Mm. in that, in that manner, we control the light. Um, we chose start times that are particularly that have the most dynamism and the most theatricality of natural light in, in lower Manhattan. Um, so that we, to the furthest extent possible, we know what it's going to be like for you when you go. And then also we guide you. So it's myself as a narrator and Andrew Schneider, who's a a core collaborator on the project. You hear both of our voices and we tell, we tell you where to walk. So that's our control of the space. Um, and our control of the time is that you can't press play or pause on this audio. It plays spontaneously triggered by time of day and physical location. So you have to be in the right place at the right time. And that is theatricality, right? Yeah. Um, this will only happen at this location at this time and you are there or you're not there, right? That, that is the essence of, of theater as sort of how I came to understand 
it in this time when I wondered if I would ever <laughs> make theater again, you know? Um, and it was made completely in response to, to that location, to walking in that location and thinking, what could this be? What does this remind me of? What does this bring to mind for me? What do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? You know, exactly the same as what spoke to me about, um, Gabrielle Hamilton, I think is her name, uh, sitting in the empty restaurant and listening, you know, moving the tables around. Will current ride again? I hope so. Um, conversations are happening about, about that and also about more, um, site specific sound walks on this same platform, which we developed with some amazing artists called open-ended group. Uh, made the back-end technology. So we have that platform now for for doing this time and space triggered audio that doesn't require a download or an app. Nice. It's all web-based, which is super exciting, you know, in terms of accessibility and simplicity of, of entry. Um, so, yeah, but both, both another um, run for current and uh, some other similar site-specific audio works. I just got done teaching, um, I just got done as a visiting artist at UC Davis where the students made site-specific audio experiences. Those open on Friday, which was so great. Um, and then Our Country, which you're very familiar with, is in the Under the Radar Festival at the Public in January. So we're getting geared up for that. Um, but yeah. another, another, another busy season. As, 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 yeah. as to be expected with you. So I mean, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm I've never felt more grateful to be able to do this work and really like I mean I, I was saying to a collaborator last night, like I just I just really want to do a good job. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just really have that feeling of like, wow, you know, I mean, I, I really did have an existential period at the beginning of the pandemic where I thought, I wonder if everything I've made is everything I'll ever get to make. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. if it, and I, and in that time I felt like, wow, if it is, I'm so grateful mm. that I got to do it. And I hope I get to do it some more, <laughs> you know? Um, and so now I feel, yeah, and, and, and then the opportunities that have come, like, have just felt really, really special in the sense of, like, through the making of Current, and, and I, I made another piece, um, a sort that we have this project in development called rest, um, which I think maybe you also know about, which is a performance installation for a chamber orchestra that you're not always sure are there. It's a mm. collaboration with wild up. Um, but in the pandemic, we sort of did a residency to explore what that would be like as a video game. And we made a, a concept film of like what the look and feel of, of this idea about what rest means to us in the digital age could be as a, as an experience on a screen. And I'm also a visiting artist at the city university of New York this semester where, um, with co-teaching with Jesse Garrison, who's a, a technologist about, um, where the students are prototyping that, that, um, idea as a game and an app and, a 
audiovisual installation with no performers. Um, but through all of the work that I did in this time where I was wondering what performance would be, I also really had an amazing opportunity to wonder what performance is, you know, like this thing about when we can control the space and the time we are making theater. Um, I was, I, I'm really grateful to have had that existential period to really strip things down to their, for me, to their core, you know, that, that the essential qualities of liveness are about temporality, synchronicity, magic. Um, yeah. Space. Any folks, uh, do you want to catch up and see any of this work or, or follow along with your career? Where should they go? Um, they can go <laughs> lots of different places. <laughs> Currently redoing my website. Um, uh, so the, the sort of first port of call, I guess, in terms of like what's coming up right next is, um, is to check out the website for the Under the Radar Festival at the Public Theater in, in New York City. Um, and from there, you can find anything else that might be going on, but that's going to be the next thing. That's in January. All right. Yeah. Thank Any, you, Noah. Thank you. That's it's always so good to have nice you on. nice to talk with you. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank Todd and Scott and Annie for being our guests on the show this week. I want to thank Catherine for coming through with the headlines and, of course, everything she does over here at No Pro. This is the fourth attempt I've made at recording the ending of the show. We're an hour and 45 minutes into it, so let's just do the credits, everybody. If you really, really want to know how I'm feeling, I don't know, uh, demand an irregular <laughs> that'll go up on the Patreon feed. This show, everything we do at No Persinium, all the everything immersive stuff, yada, 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 is made possible by our sustaining backers and, of course, all of our Patreon backers, but definitely the sustaining backers who toss in like, like money there. I'm like, how can you do this? And it's because they love us, and what an amazing thing. They are Ari Herstand, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor at NoPro and does our headlines. And of course, I am Noah Nelson, and everything is my fault. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.